Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. Jake and I are here yet again to discuss what's been a kind of a quiet week in the world of the Anaheim Ducks. There were two games this week, which uh, in case you haven't seen them yet, I'll spoil them, spoil that here for you. The Ducks lost both of them four to one against the Kings and then five to one against Vegas. We did a live watch along last night. But hey, Jake, at least they were wearing the reverse retros. Yeah, I mean, once again, best look the Ducks have had uh, within the past five or six years. Probably the best look since they wore the the Mighty Ducks jersey at home for the uh, throwback night. And so, uh, fantastic look. Glad that they could wear it at home with fans in the building. I think that that was important to get one game. And the funny thing is, I think that if this Vegas game, because this game was supposed to originally be played in mid-February, late February, and due to kind of COVID rescheduling, this got pushed back to to April. And so I don't think the original planned games would have actually happened uh, during uh, with fans in the building. So mm-hmm. as a result of that getting rescheduled, it's now pushed a, a reverse retro game with fans in the building. But I think my biggest takeaway from that, they should have worn that jersey more than two times. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because some teams have worn their reverse retros a bunch. Like, I know the Canadians have worn the blue jersey. It's like six uh, times, right? Six times, yeah. And so I don't know how, what goes into that decision, who gets to decide, or what kind of, I don't know, I, I think it's a, te- it's, it's, a team, it's a team decision. It, it's, a, it's a management, ownership, PR, whatever. Whoever has a say in their standard jersey schedule, it is, uh, it is that same person that came up with this. And so, I mean, overall, this probably has to get approved by the higher-ups. Higher and I think there are probably some people within the Ducks organization that don't exactly love the older logos, that enjoy the fact that they're, the new logos are more modern, slick, not cartoony, I, I, I think would be how they would put it, not as childish. <sighs> and um, they probably are the ones having the say and only having it worn every once in a while. But... The Ducks need to realize that's part of your history. You can't just forget about the history and what's happened there and embrace it. Yeah, I am a little surprised to hear you just basically say that the there could be some dissension in the ranks within the organization about the jersey. That is not an angle I had I had considered actually. What do you mean dissension in the right? Like, well, like, you're saying I, that there's a disagreement in who you know, like there there's a varying level of approval for the Jersey within the, within the organization is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. I, I think that probably some of the higher ups, uh, don't like the cartoonish logo. Okay. I could, I could just foresee Bob Murray not being one that would enjoy a cartoon on a Jersey. I, he seems like someone who more so revels in the, the history of the game, the iconic logos, like a black Blackhawks or Red Wings logo and like something more in that line than something born out of a Disney movie. Yeah, I'd really love to chat with Bob Murray about his jersey tastes. I that actually w- would also. That yeah, like give me give me your top 5 jerseys Bob Murray. Let's let's go. Let's you, have this discussion. You know the Blackhawks would be there cuz he played it, for them. It'll be Blackhawks, Detroit, Boston, 
Toronto, <laughs> Toronto, <laughs> Mo- Montreal. Just go down the original Just, six. Which, yeah. By the way, not not bad choices. Yeah. Probably not that similar to my own top five, but for him, it's yeah, maybe a little I mean, different for reason. Let, let's give him some credit and the Ducks organization some credit here, though. They did fully embrace the the reverse retro thing and go with the yeah. Mighty Ducks Wild Wing crashing the ice because we have people in the Twitch chat bring up the fact that he could have been like Lou. Who just straight up said no to the fisherman logo for the Islanders? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, at least when they did do it, they went all in. They got the equipment, the matching equipment. They did the whole theme. I appreciate that. Yes, and I, agreed. And I think that that doesn't Although, totally offset the fact that they only wore it twice, but it does. It does help can, mitigate it. Can Can I have have one more? Uh, Thing. By the way, uh, oh, Bonnie saying your voice sounds very good. So saying it's it, wondering if it's a new mic. So shout out to Bonnie. <laughs> um, so um, what was I? Oh, I wanted to just briefly mention this because this was something that I mentioned on the the watch along last night. And it was something that bugged me during the stream because we gave major props during our watch along to the fact the first for the first verse retro game that Prime Ticket adjusted the colors of their broadcast. Oh, you. You were so irate about this. I was. They they adjusted the colors of the broadcast. And no, because I can recall you and I discussing this and saying that is like actually perfect that they've made it like the done uh, jade for the Anaheim color there. Um, and it just kind of fit perfectly with on the scoreboard. Whereas the Bally's uh, ticker kept the Ducks logo and the orange color. Yeah. Bad look. Yeah. Should have updated to match here. it. Yeah. 100%. Well, you know? overall, I'm not the the transition to Bally has not been that awesome. I think I speak for a lot of people there, where the the ticker at the bottom of the screen is really distracting during games. I mean, to be fair, Fox Sports did have like a version of that, but it just still I don't know. It it just kind of it gets in the way. It's kind of jarring. I don't know how you feel about it though. Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly looking up in the top corner for uh, for the score and so obviously yeah old habits die hard yeah as you can tell we're, we're definitely chomping at the bit to discuss the games from this week seeing as uh the most important thing from this week was, was the reverse retro jerseys well i mean it's it matters like yeah no it, it does that that i i guarantee that that drove ticket sales that drove people watching the game was just to yeah. to catch one of the two games that they were going to be wearing that jersey for yeah and also i mean the jersey is for a lot of people, how you connect, it's the biggest way you connect with the team. You buy a jersey, yeah. you wear a jersey, you wear it to games, you you're, you buy apparel. Like it's, I think people kind of laugh about how much time maybe we spend talking about it or how much maybe people care in general, but it's, don't overlook the importance of jerseys to, to oh, people. Oh, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Well, I, well, I know you don't, but I'm just saying in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know, I know damn well that you <laughs> I, don't. I could fill an entire two or three hours of podcasting with just Jersey talk. I mean, we've basically done it numerous times over. True. So, True. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely something that that we're familiar with. But let's uh, let's get into the biggest news of the week, and it's not the games. Uh, just uh, sadly, it's not the games. It's the fact that Jakob Silberberg. Add him to the list of Ducks veterans who are out for the season. So he went, uh, he underwent successful hip surgery, and he will be out four to six months. And it's to repair a torn labrum in his right hip. And so, you know, the, apparently, according to, I'll just read the quote here from from Bob Murray. Uh, let's see here. 
actually, I don't want to read it word for word. I'll just say that basically Bomberi said that or hinted at that this is something that he's been dealing with for the last couple of years. And it just got to the point where this felt like the right time to do it. And look, I think if you're the Ducks and, you know, you have all these all these veteran players and the season is going nowhere fast and, you know, you, you're you're you've missed the playoffs already. And at this point, maybe winning games is in your best interest for the draft. I think it's probably smart to let some of the veterans work out whatever's been nagging them, right? And 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 working out those those injuries. So even though it's it sucks for Silverberg that he's gonna be, you know, out for the rest of the season and that he's gonna miss potentially half a year and, and it's no small thing. Right. Anytime you hear hip, you kind of raise an eyebrow. But I think, well, especially over, with the with the Ducks and, and the Ryan Kessler situation. Like yeah, that, but that's this so is front of it's but, different, but it's but front this, of mind for Ducks fans. I mean, yes, exactly. So for Ducks fans, I totally get when you hear hip, you you kind of exactly you think back to Ryan Kessler, but mm-hmm. that was a hip resurfacing. Like he that, basically had a hip replacement. Yeah, he had a degenerative hip. I think was what it was, or arthritic exactly. hip or something along those lines. Exactly. This is far from that. So, I, and I mean, just looking at the time frame, you can see that right. Four to six months is. Uh, not at all what, what what they were looking at with Kessler. So I, I kind of see it as good news in a way that he's getting this ironed out. Yeah. And and hopefully, you know, if it was slowing him down, then when he, when, you know, by the time next season starts, he should have a few months of rehab under his belt and be able to, 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 make, a, to make a good recovery, assuming, of course, that he is going to be on the shorter end of that timeline. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, because if you look at, you know, Silverberg's stats, right, and I know that... Uh, Oh no, we're going to bring up stats here we again. Go. I'm going to throw his RAPM charts just for everyone on the screen but right now. Th- basically, I think stats are a good starting point just because it kind of gives you a way to just have a quick capture of, of how the, the, the player in question has been performing. And so for Jakob Silberberg this season, he's still been quite good defensively. He's still mm-hmm. been one of the better shutdown guys in the team. His offense has just kind of gone completely down the drain. And that's not too surprising because this team as a whole has really struggled offensively and he hasn't really been part of that solution. But by any means, he was still good, though, even going back to last season. I mean, his offense was a lot better and his defense was holding steady. So to me, it's hard to say how much of how much his performance was really being held back by this by this nagging injury, because if you go back to 1819, he was still quite good. And I, I think, I don't know how much of the decline this year has been because the injury has, has gotten to that point, or it's just the fact that he's, you know, getting a little older or the fact that the team's gotten so wor- so bad around him could be a combination of all of those things. But what's, what's kind of your, your feel on that? Yeah. So I've now just kind of on the screen been, been showing the for throughout the different years, his RIPM charts. And so the, the interesting thing is his defense this year has actually improved on where, where it's been yeah, very the last slightly. Couple, yeah. yeah. Especially from a shot uh, quantity perspective, it, it's specifically the between this year and last year, the big difference is last year he got the goals this year. He didn't the expected goals and the, the Corsi four were both kind of similar positions between this year and last. And then two seasons ago, uh, it was uh, a little bit different also where we, he was kind of replacement level there. But having said all of that, the the interesting thing with this was the two-year revelation. And so just to kind of paint the picture for everyone with my, my initial reading of that was I was actually concerned because if the organization and the Ducks, and this is where my brain went to right away, had any knowledge of this potentially being the, the end result 
um, of this, uh, this injury, the, this situation with him, then I really do question why they didn't take a look at doing this last off season where the ducks were going into having a 10 month off season. And so I do, I'll mention that the issue with that thought from me though, is that it completely ignores the fact of the player's choice. And Silverberg has the choice there, whether he wants to, to have the surgery, whether it was necessary at the time, yep. it, he may have thought that with the extended off season that he could have rehabbed it and not had to go to surgery. And there were plenty of people that rightfully pointed that out to me that surgery should be a last resort. And so basically that could Especially be Especially big... for something like that. Yes. And so I, I think there was a, a question that probably should have been asked of Bob Murray, of that, but the answer very well could have just been he he wanted to take the off season to try to rehab it to get better. I think the question possibly should have been asked. It wasn't, but here we are. And now Silverberg is uh, out for four to six months. I think there is a concern on my front, though, where, yes, this is not as bad as Ryan Kessler. But uh, still, a guy getting hip surgery, you don't come back 100% from surgeries. You, you just don't, especially when you're over uh, 30 years old, there is going to be some degeneration uh, in your body after that. And so you're not going to be where you were at prior to having any issues there. Well, hip surgeries are also really unpredictable in how you'll how quickly you'll be able to rehab. And your hip is so pivotal to skating. And so yeah. granted, having said that, you would hope that after the surgery, he's going to be in a better situation than he was before the surgery. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so maybe, and, and so my read on some of his numbers from this year specifically is I, I wonder how much of his skating stride was impacted by this because there's no doubt it's oh, it going to. to. It and so to. Yeah. I, I wonder how much of kind of his lack of offense, his lack of ability to get into the offensive zone really w- was driven by that. And he was so good defensively still because that was more so based on positioning and, and his headiness in his own zone as compared to being able to attack and transition. And so you I mean, saw the offense fall off completely because he didn't yeah. have necessarily the power in his skating stride, but his positioning in his defensive zone was still uh, all well and good. Well, the thing is when you watch him play, and especially because the thing is the, these stats that we're looking at are individual stats. And so it yes. makes sense that he has a positive impact when he's out there, but it's not coming from his own offense. It's coming from just the ability to control the game, bring the puck up ice, different things like that. But if you watched him play this year and, you know, Jakob Silverberg has never been this dynamic offensive player. Like he's never, I mean, he's had 20 goal seasons, but it's never been because he's got this deep, you know, toolbox of, of moves and fakes and, you know, different, you know, cuts in the offensive zone. He's a guy who's very north south, right? Going to bring it down the wing, fire off a shot or, or curl below the net and try to jam it. Different things like that. And you really just didn't see a whole lot of that this year. You didn't see those Silverberg rushes. You didn't see that, that shot really coming down the wing. You didn't see him driving to the net as much. And, Look, part of that could be due to the injury. There's, there's no question that n- knowing this, knowing this now about the injury, about the ailment, I think you have to at least consider it in your evaluation of him and and how he was playing. Yeah, there's no and, doubt there. And you can see here now up on the screen, by the way, is uh, Jay Fresh's uh, player cards for Jacob Silverberg. Um, absolutely fantastic tool. Go subscribe to his Patreon if you can. Um, great, great work over there. But, uh, you can see on the right hand side, right over here, you can see kind of where his offensive offense versus defense versus finishing for war has kind of trended over the past couple years. So you can see his offense has really kind of fallen off and it kind of goes down between 18, 19. And if this is potentially the second season that he's dealt with this, 
that's potentially the reason that makes sense for that. While his defense is kind of always has maintained that high level. And it makes sense. Like that's something that's maybe you can, you can lean back on that a bit more, especially, I mean, I think that's always really been the strength of his game. Yeah. You know, offense has kind of waxed and waned depending on who his line mates have been, depending on how good the team has been. He's never been in my view, like this big offensive driver, at least individually. One thing I didn't want to say though, to your comment about the 10 month off season is that, that this was a weird off season because in, in hindsight, it looks like a 10 month off season, but there was a lot of stopping and starting. There was That's a true. lot of uncertainty about point. when the season would start back up. You know, you had, this, you had this, you had the bubble and then Good you had point. this kind of three month weirdness at the end of the year where there was a lot of stopping and starting. So, uh, you know, it's kind of tough to say, I think players were probably just really apprehensive to do anything because yep. you didn't know when the call was going to be per se. Yep. Um, no, that, that that's completely valid and completely fair. Um, yeah. and, and, and so kind of now, uh, turning this into, obviously, hopefully it comes back fine. Um, yeah. as, as Ducks go brings up, uh, Solani had reconstructive surgery. And I believe he on his knee and came back, uh, better than ever. Um, I, I yes. And, and so there is a potential for that. I'm more concerned about a hip than a knee. Cause just because like you said, there's really kind of, it, it's hard to really tell how they're going to go. Um, but I mean, knee knee is pretty bad too. (laughs) Yes. But Silverberg is uh, 30 years old right now, which is right around the same time that Solani did. So he could come back and be just fine. I think the, the difference there is Solani was just at his prime, a different caliber of player. Yeah. That's the thing. He had had more, um, what's the term I'm looking for? He, he had more margin for error. Yeah. He, he could fall a little bit and still be a very good player. Correct. And I mean, Silverberg's got that too, like in his own way. Um, yeah. I, I think he'll come back, and I mean to to me, let me I'll, I'll I'll throw mine out there, and then I'll ask you. So for me, the best case scenario is that he comes back and goes back to how he was maybe two years ago in eighteen nineteen, right when he was still really strong at both ends of the ice. And the worst case scenario is that he kind of just stays at where he is now, and which is not a terrible place to be. Maybe Here's... the wor- maybe the worst worst case is actually that he goes down a tick from there. Uh, yeah. What's your view on that? Yeah, and I think the concern that I have here is that uh, Silverberg... the thing is he he's playing this well with the injury, right? Well, here once again, here's my concern here, and this is not necessarily an indictment of Jacob Silverberg. This is once again an indictment of Bob Murray, and Silverberg's in year two of his contract, year two of five of his of his contract extension, where he's gonna where he's getting paid five point two five mil and. I mean, it was probably as much as he was going to get in the like that was probably fair market value. And I said that at the time, if you're going to sign him, getting him at five point two five was actually a decent number to get him at. The issue is, is that and and this is kind of what we continually talk about when, when we talk about the worry about signing a Ricardo Kell, the worry about signing a, a Josh Manson, signing these guys is that just like looking at what Adam Reek's doing and looking at what uh, what obviously is going on with Jack Silverberg, when you start signing guys that are going into their 30s, they become more injury-prone. They, they decline due to injury, and it's not necessarily their fault. It, it's just the wear and tear of playing such a physical game of hockey and putting ha- having so many minutes, having so many, uh, so many hits, so many things that accumulate on your body, and it eventually causes your body to wear down over time. And it causes things like this. And, and sure, maybe Silverberg comes back and is great. Maybe he, he doesn't, though. And then you're saddled with a $5.25 million cap hit for a guy that just can't do yeah. it. And, and I think that's 
this isn't necessarily a issue with Silverberg. It is the contract that he was given and, and the, the thought process behind that. And so well, here's my other question. Yeah. Uh, if he's been dealing with this for two years, he was signed to that contract March 1st, 2019. Uh, so did this happen before or after it was signed? My gut is that this injury happened last season, and that's what Bob Murray meant by two years. Okay, I mean and, that's a bit of a stretch. Well, the reason why <laughs> I the reason why I say that is that uh, it's because if you look at that war chart and just the way that the downturn happens, and Salem's now on the bed behind me, so Salem, say hi as she's super vocal. Um, but. I, if you look at kind of various different things, the fall off started happening last year. And so I think if you read that quote, there's a, a reading of it that you can make where it is the the injury started last year. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think that's a still a little bit of a stretch. It but could yes, also but, just be, but it could also just be two years as yes. the quote true States. but but that would be you're right if that is the case that is a major issue when you're signing yeah. a guy to a five-year contract extension going into his 30s and i mean this is where aging curves are a thing and where they're important to understand them and the aging curves happen because of these types of things and, and so mm-hmm. when when we discuss um giving um giving out a deal to raquel giving out a deal to manson and how those would not be the smartest ideas for the Ducks to make to to contribute that much cap to those types of guys into their 30s. This is the reason why. They may well, be able to produce, but it, it's the the potential injury. It's all these things that go up where the money may not be utilized correctly by giving it to someone at that age. Well, also, and now I think this is maybe a good transition point, mm-hmm. you know, with Josh Manson, his his ability to stay healthy is now really just fully in question, I think. Yeah, because, you know, he had the injury early in the season. He's still out now because of a fight he got into on, you know, against the Kings this week. And he got essentially one punch KO'd and a very scary sight there. Very, and, very. And, you know, I mean, look, guys will fight. It's something that happens in the game. If, if, but it's, I, if I, it's still allowed by leagues, guys, guys are going to do it. Guys are going to do it. And Josh Manson, that's kind of that's part of his role on this team is to be that emotional firebrand, the guy to go out there and settle scores to stick up for teammates. He's, he wears an a right. There's all these different things, but I just think for a guy who's missed so much time for a guy who's trying to work his way back into the lineup to be a regular. And, and, you know, like even though that pairing was struggling him and Drysdale, I still think that at least there was something they were trying to build something there, you know, to kind of put yourself at risk. It's, it's a tough look. And and I I know people are going to very much disagree with that take. And I understand it. That's part of his game. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's a, it's like a selfish or decision or anything like that on his part. I just think objectively, it's probably not something he should be doing right now. Josh Manson has been injured. I think he's had two injuries this season. Maybe maybe three. I'm not quite sure. It's it's also but, pretty. It's also I should say pretty rare that a guy gets clocked that bad in a hockey fight nowadays. Fights tend to be a lot of just punching each other's like shoulder pads. But even still, the risk is always going to be there, and but, that is the issue. But my point was uh, that I was going to make there is that in the two of the fights he's had this year, he's gotten hurt. Yeah, like he had the oblique injury that came in the fight early yeah. on in the year against, exactly. uh, against the wild. And then you had this one where and, and that wasn't necessarily him getting knocked out, but it's just the two guys falling to the ice because there mm-hmm. are risks in it that happen when you're fighting. a guy. And then there's obviously the 
the the risk that happens uh when you are potentially going to get knocked out and, and that's just uh the risk you run obviously when you are uh going to be engaging in a fight and i think he needs to understand that it's just there's no real benefit to him especially the the one that happened in the kings game happened at a very like um it was at a time where basically the the game was over i think and it just there was no real uh it, it was just weird the the timing of that fight and so um it i'm not going to fully go out kind of on my uh or or uh what I, whatever i can't even think of the saying right now you're but losing it over there i i am sorry i was trying to mod the chat real quick also <laughs> as is. i as i was talking multitasking as multitask yeah but uh go up on my soapbox but i mean i'm not the biggest person for fighting in the first place and let alone when you have a guy that's important to the ducks team he's a guy that's important to the future of the ducks team whether it's due to being traded with trade value or in a mentorship role with all this different type of stuff the benefit of that fight was not worth the injury of him and potentially getting a concussion. Yeah, th- that's the thing is that, I mean, for better or worse, the guys who usually fight are less important to the lineup, are less important to overall team success. There's a reason that you've had enforcers in the past. There's a reason that a guy like Nick Delorier has been the one typically to answer the call. And so for Manson, he is he is very important to this lineup, even if his game has taken a step back, even if he's not necessarily that uh, that shutdown defenseman that he was maybe a couple years ago. He's still important to this because you see you see the drastic fall off in talent once him, Lindholm, once guys like that start leaving the lineup. And I think maybe at some point there just has to be a conversation that you know you are just too important to this team to really be putting yourself at risk like that. And I would be very surprised if that conversation ever happens just because Same. Look, uh, I think that he's probably being encouraged to do that. I think that, that there's a there's a positive feedback loop when he does those things. I mean, Dallas Akins is a guy who's really big on the emotional aspect of the game. And when he sees a guy like that, a leader, a guy wearing a letter, dropping the gloves and putting his body in the line, he probably eats that up because that's that's the buy-in that he wants to see from from the rest of his team. I just think that there is a huge cost to that. Now, of course, we have to mention this is kind of a lost season, so maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. But, no, but these yeah. the, the habits that you build now, it, they're not just going to magically change once games become competitive again and the Ducks are vying for a playoff spot. And that is, <laughs> Lord knows when that will happen again, but when it does, you kind of want to have some habits built up that are going to allow you to, uh, to, to not have to deal with these unnecessary types of, of hindrances. Yeah, and, and I think from also just a player perspective, I mean, seeing that happen to Manson was concerning. Like he, him getting knocked out like that and being woozy, not being able to skate off the ice—that's scary. Yeah, like it's like, a it's a tough look. Like there, there is a lawsuit against the NHL for concussions, and you see that happen and see this guy skate off, and just we what we know about concussions now as compared to what we used to, and, and just the the long term ramification that it can have on your health. It's just hard for me to stomach seeing that when it's not, it's, I mean, this is just putting it simply. It's not a hockey play. Like a fight's not a hockey play. It's not something that is trying to put the puck in the back of the net that actively causes that. It's something that happens between the whistles. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, cause like a hard body check, a big hit. Yeah. You know, even if maybe it's, it's maybe on the walk in that line and maybe slightly dirty, you're, you, it's at least still part of the flow of the game. 
And so with uh, with the fight, though, there's just nothing about that is really within the game. I mean, I know a lot of people are going to hate hearing this. A lot of people still love fighting. Look, I'm a UFC fan. I, I love same, watching. Same. I love watching. A good As fight. you all know, I'm a professional <laughs> wrestling fan. Yeah, like I love I, like the, the art of fighting and all of that. Like I love that. But in an actual environment where that's the object of the game, where that is the sport in hockey, yeah. it's just it's become this sideshow over the years for for teams to be able to sell tickets and for like minor league teams to be able to put butts in the seats. But realistic and look, there's always been fighting in the game. If you go back to the 40s, right, there's those those famous pictures of guys like Rocket Richard dropping the gloves in the playoffs, things like that. But it's it doesn't mean it's a good thing, even if it's always been around. Right. Yeah. Um, it's probably something that over time, I mean, it, it has gone down, but still, it's something that when it leaves, I'm not going to be sad. Oh, man, there's no more fights. And, and like, that's that's really going to take away from my enjoyment of the game. Yeah, and at some point in time... It's not going to do that. At some point in time, I don't think it's ever going to be outlawed fully. I don't think Gary Bettman, I don't think any of the general managers, I don't think any of them really want that to to happen, so I don't think it's ever actually going to be taken out fully. But I think it's just organically going to be taken out of the game. Well, the thing is, it's just really hard to have a roster player who can't play, and the only thing they can do is fight. Like, even Ryan Reeves, I would say he's he's not in that realm of just, like, a pure enforcer. Um, so anyway, this has just become a tangent about fighting. I mean, we'll, yeah, but I mean, we'll see there, how that there, goes there, over. Yeah, there was a there was a big fight though this past week that that had ramifications on the Ducks lineup. And exactly, I mean, one and, of the and, interesting and the thing is, is th- there's all this moaning about, oh well, you know, the Ducks are just never healthy. They can never. I mean, and this is from the organization. You know, the the, the you, you can never have a fully healthy lineup. We've never had all of our demon at the same time. It's like, yeah, well, that's partially self inflicted. So maybe yeah. don't maybe and don't do that. DB Lowry brings up a point, and I want to get your quick take on this. But says, do you think there's a difference between the the type of fight Manson engaged in against the Kings, which was essentially, I th- think if I'm remembering correctly, a Kings player kind of fell into Stolars a little bit and, and kind of lost an edge, went into him, and then Manson basically got up and they they went at it. And so basically, a difference between that and the fact that the fight that he had against Giordano in 2017 after Giordano need Fowler, like. He- yeah, of course. Like there, there's always every situation is unique. But if you wa- if you watch guys like Nick Delorier when they fight, guys who have to fight a lot, they're smart about it. They're not necessarily, and they'll never say this, but they're not necessarily punching to you know to to injure. Right? They're just trying to do their job. They're trying to get in and get out. It's not about putting up this like you know UFC caliber fight. But I think with Josh Manson, he doesn't have that. He, he doesn't have that understanding of, of, of the fight game, the life of an enforcer. So when he's going in, he's going in to actually connect and going in to actually land punches and have it be a real fight. And I just think that's it's probably not a wise strategy long term yeah. for him. Yep. yep. Um, and just real quick kind of uh, to uh, transition to one of the games with Josh Manson out. It was interesting that they put Jamie Drysdale back on the right hand side, which is something that I obviously have been clamoring for and, and paired him with, uh, with Hayden flurry and brought back into the lineup, both Jacob Larson and Andy Walensky. And instead of just kind of solidifying a, a top four, uh, of Fowler, uh, Fowler, uh, Shattenkirk hit flurry, uh, flurry Drysdale. And then you can do Larson and Walensky or whatever. They decided to, to not put Fowler and Shattenkirk together and keep put Walensky with, with Fowler and put Larson with Shattenkirk. And, 
I mean, the end result for the Ducks against Vegas was, was not great. And I mean, granted, the the defense pairing for Flurry and and, uh, and Drysdale was not great either. Yeah, and I think they're at the point with Vegas where they can throw any combination at them, and it's probably not going to work. Yeah. They're probably still going to get destroyed either way. Um, but yeah, I think it is interesting, though, that with Manson out, the Ducks are moving Drysdale back to his natural side and that he is getting a look with Hayden Flurry. And potentially long term, that could, I mean, there's still very early returns on that, but maybe over time that could become its own pairing. And when Manson comes back, you put him with another veteran defenseman, right? You you go back to Fowler Manson, and then next season you have Lindholm, Shattenkirk, and then Drysdale and Flurry as your third pairing. I mean, that could be interesting. Um, and there were moments where I think they looked okay together. You could see Flurry being getting more comfortable taking the puck up ice working with Drysdale. I mean, Drysdale seems like an easy guy to play with because he's just so smart when he's handling the puck, when he's bringing it up ice. But that that is something that we'll definitely be watching uh, in the in the final stretch run here. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, and, I mean, what is Cody Curran going to have to do to get in the lineup? So it's actually funny you say that because Eric Stevens asked uh, Dallas Aikens about that today at, at practice. So... He asked him, he actually, the way he phrased the question was funny. He said, a lot of readers have been asking what Cody Curran has to do to get into the lineup. And Dallas Aikens was not, uh, I mean, he didn't really hold back. He said that he has to get used to playing on the smaller ice. He has to get used to defending. He has to get used to those battles in front of the net, behind the net. He basically painted this picture of Curran as this guy who I don't think he fully trusts defensively in an NHL game. And I find that kind of interesting because uh, Jacob Larson gets put out there regularly. Yeah. And the other, the other I thing don't is, think he's good at any of those things. I mean, the other thing is, what do you have to lose by putting him out there and seeing what you exactly. have? He, he has yet to play in an NHL game. Exactly. Like, like what does he have to do at the AHL level? Uh, I mean, same, what is, same thing what with Mahura also. Yeah, well, I mean, at least Mahura has gotten a look. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. With, with Curran, they're just not even touching him. And look... This is uh, this is going to sound maybe a little harsh, but Dallas Aiken's track record for not playing guys just because he has this thought of why they shouldn't play, it's not looking great because Anthony Stolar sat on the shelf the whole season, and then as soon as he started playing, he started playing real well. And, you know, Dallas Troy, Aiken's... Troy re- Terry, Dan yeah, Heinen. Exactly. And so, and look, Troy Terry was a guy that he was scratching, and, and then all of a sudden he, quote-unquote, became responsible it also happened to coincide with potentially his agent floating out a trade rumor uh and then he all of a sudden started getting ice time but that's neither here nor there the point is aiken's track record on these types of evaluations where a guy is just left off the the roster or scratched it's just not he's not batting a strong average i would say it's probably below replacement level and so i'm not when i hear him say those things i'm like yeah that's probably true he probably isn't uh fully up to speed but at the same time why you're going to have to find out one way or another the, the organization went out and signed him for a reason i would imagine and i don't think it was to sit in and, and you know when they signed him i don't think they even knew how the setup would be with the taxi squad and different things like that so what what was the plan when they originally signed him uh is there something just in his game that's so flagrant that he can't play maybe but i i don't know again jacob larson is a thing jacob larson goes out there wearing a jersey and plays so if he can play i i just don't see how cody kern can at least get a a shot 
Yep, exactly. I mean, what do you have to lose? You're rolling out Andy Walensky, who at the end of the day is a career <laughs> AHL. Well, that's the thing. Like, you're exactly, you have a, essentially a clone of, like, you know, you have the same archetype as Cody Kern. You have another minor leaguer, another guy. And, and really, and really, the only difference is Jake is that the you know code is that Andy Walensky played for Dallas Aikens in the minors, and they have more of a they have more of a history together, and he doesn't with Kern. I mean, to me, that's really the only difference. I don't I don't buy the narrative that it's because he has this great one timer, or, or is it Letary that has a great one timer? I'm losing track. I'm losing track of of all these buddies of Aikens from the from the minors that have great shots that just happen to have great shots. So anyway, there's my rant. It's weirdly yeah. turned into a rant, but yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I said anything inaccurate. Well, I, I mean, here's the thing with, with Curran is he was the SHL MVP last year. Like that, that doesn't happen from a defenseman just like out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Like, like he's a guy that was very, very good in the Swedish league. And for someone like that, and it's funny, I've had some people and I, I honestly think that they are some people that probably know Cody a little bit because they there are a lot of people with uh, Alberta uh, locations on Twitter basically saying it's ridiculous that that the Ducks organization is not playing him or giving him a chance. And, yeah. and, and this is a guy that, that came over to, to the Ducks for that. Um, and so, it, yeah, it, I mean, it, look, it's frustrating. At, at the end of the day, though, there, you're, I don't know how much value you're really leaving on the table. But yes, it, but, exactly. But, but the thing is, it's not a like the thing is, it's not about it's not about this season and what he can do and how much greater of a win probability does, does he give you for a game next week. It's the idea that you spent cap space to go and get a player. And look, it's not this huge contract, but it, it's the idea that you you allocated resources and you should probably find out if you can get anything more out of that than simply a guy who's going to be a body either on the taxi squad or in the minors. I mean, a million dollars for a guy in the minors is, is not, it's not chump change. And supposedly we're in this pandemic world where, you know, funds are limited and it's so tough on, on the financials. Well, look, there's an, there's a, there's an example of money being spent and how well is that being spent really? So I don't know. It's a, it's just a weird, a very a very strange kind of, uh, I guess theme subplot that's been going on this year. And I I'm really happy that Stevens asked uh, Dallas Higgins about it because it's just been this mystery that we just haven't heard anything about. And yeah, he's making a million dollars in the in the minors anyway this year. So it, it's just a little strange. It, it's, Actually, it's it's very strange. It, it's it very. It, it is very strange. So mm-hmm. before we get into our next topic and then into some questions, do you think it's time for a word from our sponsor? Yeah, let's do it. So this episode of the Crash the Palm podcast is bought, brought to you by Green Chef. So Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. So you can enjoy clean ingredients you can trust that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness and they are absolutely delicious and the ingredients come pre-measured if you're like me who uh over the past year has been very much about my diet uh been working on a cut for the past year i've dropped a a significant amount of weight um so having kind of pre-portioned uh pre-measured uh meals is very very important and so green chef does that they they come pre-measured perfectly portioned and mostly prepped so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying your delicious home-cooked meal. 
Yeah. And another thing that's really nice, I mean, like for me, someone who's kind of experimented with different diets, keto, right, things like that. I haven't haven't tried going vegan or vegetarian, but they actually have uh, different meal kits that can fit that lifestyle. So whether you're keto, whether you're paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or you're just looking to eat healthier in general, uh, they have a range of recipes to suit any of those preferences. And they're actually the first, they have the first ever keto meal kit on the market. So it makes sticking to a low carb lifestyle easy with recipes averaging only 14 net carbs each. Jake, I know that you are a guy who counts every calorie, I every, do. every macronutrient to the down to the gram. So for you, I'm sure that hearing 14 net carbs must just have you just going crazy there. It, it does. I, I am not some- a lot. No, that is not a lot of carbs. And, and the nice thing is on their little meal cards, they give you the exact ingredients. So if you're like me that, that counts calories, that that tracks everything, it's very easy to track exactly everything in this meal um, by, by just basically seeing that and logging basically what they have there and putting it in. And, and also, if you care about uh, sustainability and everything along those lines, Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit. They offset uh, 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So you can feel great about what you're eating and how you eat it. So Green Chef w- was very kind. They were able to send both of us some meals to be able to test it out. They they sent me the Memphis-style beef meatballs, the roasted sausages and creamy mash, and the, the Cuban chicken with chimichurri. And made all of them this past week for both me and my wife. And I got to say... The process was so easy. I'm someone who basically just typically cooks for for myself um, and, and my wife, and kind of have things planned. Um, this was amazing because everything came prepackaged. You you got to have a little bit of the feeling that you were going to be that that you're a chef by by chopping they, up things they, and everything. They give you an onion. We, they we, give, we got an onion in the bag. They give you a whole whole onion to <laughs> chop up to be able to go there, and um, it, it's just. It was really good, really easy. The directions were easy to follow, and every meal kind of took about 30 minutes or so to make. And I have to say, the my my wife really wanted me me to plug this one. The uh sorry, the roasted sausages and creamy mash. She was the one that wanted to say that was her absolute favorite. The mashed potatoes, the sausages, and it had this like cream cheese onion dish on top of it. It was just amazing. And I mean, that's not to say the other ones weren't great because they were like, I, the meals were amazing. Like, I really cannot stress this enough. If you're someone looking for someone or looking for something to, to eat clean, to set up and not only eat clean, because a lot of times, and I I know this from experience when you're eating clean, it's a lot of bland stuff. It's a lot of the same type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing Yep. The nice thing about Green Chef is there's a lot of flavoring. The seasoning packets really do do a wonderful thing to to flavor up your your dish, flavor up your meal, and you also get a lot of veggies with it. And so it really kind of is is good there. So if you want to try out the the Green Chef just like we go we did, go to greenchef.com/90ctp. 90ctp like crash the pond and you can use the code 90ctp to get $90 off including free shipping. So 90 CP, CTP, 90 for the $90 off, CTP for Crash the Pond. So uh, go ahead, check that out. And uh, Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. Yeah, let us know if, if you enjoy it or not, because it is, it's definitely... It's delicious. It's it, delicious. And it comes through in a pinch too, because there will just be nights where you just don't have anything necessarily planned or ready, and you can just open a bag and you're good to go. Oh, it, w- it was a lifesaver 
uh, yeah. this week. That to me, that's one of the biggest things oh, with, with food is convenience. Well, let's just really, I want to really quickly, we typically don't get questions about our ad reads. So I want to briefly mention this. Ducksco said, how is the freshness of it? Because he's bought some stuff and it's came to him wilted. Everything was fresh. The vegetables were fantastic. Yeah. The meat was great. Came in a, in a box that was uh, iced and there was actually an additional iced uh, spot at the bottom that all the meats were in. So they were actually yeah. extra cold. Yeah, so and- the, 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 the meats are vacuum sealed and you can freeze them. So it's very easy to keep it all fresh. Yes, yes. So make uh, go ahead and check it out. It was delicious. So you can get $90 off. Yeah, ninety dollars. Jeez, that's that's not nothing. Okay, let's uh let's move on here. Let's uh let's get through the rest of this pod. We're actually already forty five minutes in. Where did the time go? Where did the time go? I mean, I, I can tell you where it went. It went to Cody Curran and Jakob Silverberg. But I mean, we also had a good ten minutes on just the reverse retro jerseys. That's true. That's true. Well, you know, from here on out, I think that we we can definitely, if people have questions or topics for the Twitch chat, you know, definitely start throwing them in. I think that, you know, now that the season now that the season is really winding down, I mean the Ducks have what, eight games left. To me, the two big things the the, the two items that we're gonna be turning our attentions to are gonna be the two drafts, expansion yep. draft and the entry draft. <laughs> and I think one thing to note in regards to the entry draft is this week Bob McKenzie released his list, his his midseason draft rankings and you know, for those are not always necessarily going to be like this perfect list. They're not always going to tell you who's the best or anything like that, but they are telling you it, it's a good snapshot of what people are saying within the industry, what, and, what scouts are saying. And, and here's kind of the, the reason why I think looking at Bob McKenzie's is important is I personally, for my own uh, taste, enjoy elite prospects and enjoy scott wheelers because i believe that those kind of line up with my my view more detailed too but here's the thing on bob mckenzie bob mckenzie does not base the list based on what he thinks yeah it's based upon what he hears from scouts and what he's hearing from everyone throughout hockey about where players could go and so he actually uh checked him with uh owen power at first overall and in the the setup before it he actually brought this up that this is not a, com- a completely locked in number one overall, but 10 out of 10 uh, scouts did have him first overall. So he is the consensus favorite. But as one scout put it, uh, one scout put to him, he said, uh, I don't know what percentage number you would put it on it, though. 60, 70 percent. I'm not sure. It's certainly more than 50 percent. But this is not a draft where there's one dominant prospect who is the unquestioned number one choice. I mean, it's that it's close enough between power and the other top guys that you couldn't rule out someone else. So I, I think that that's kind of an important uh, takeaway from this is even though 10 out of 10 scouts had power number one, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going there. I think more likely than not, power is going to go first overall, though. Yeah, because I, I, this is something that we were talking about yesterday on the watch along, but it just seems like one of those years where people are really going to flock to kind of the known commodity. And if there's a name that's kind of becoming the the consensus number one or close to consensus, with teams feeling so uncomfortable about how they've been able to scout this year, I, I just think that that there's a bit of kind of crowd think or group think going on there. And you'll probably see something to that effect happen. Teams just trying to avoid that uncertainty. I don't know if that will necessarily mean that they'll make a better pick because Owen power to me, I mean, profiles as a really good defenseman, but I don't know if there's the kind of offensive upside that you want there with, with that high of a pick. 
Yeah, and that that would be my only issue with with picking him that high. I mean, like for example, if if you're the Ducks and you're picking Owen Power, let's say he somehow uh, becomes available later on, or they do get the first overall pick, how would you feel about that? I, I think that overall, I I would be okay with it. I think that that gives them a left-handed shot defenseman to to pair with Jamie Drysdale for years to come. Your top pairing is set for a yeah. long, long time. I mean, Owen Power is no doubt going to be a great defenseman. I, he's six, I think he's six five and a half, and I know that we're we're kind of it's where the size doesn't matter crowd, but that's pretty huge for for a hockey player. Yeah, so. And, and so I mean, here's the and to kind of go off of this uh, on or in addition to what um, Bob McKenzie put, he's also ranked first by elite prospects. Mm-hmm. And so the the one thing that Elite Prospects has said is that his progression in the college game has been significant this past year. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing with Owen Powers. He's played a full season. He played the whole year in college, he, and he's playing against guys older than him. I mean, he was a, fre- a, a freshman, uh, a young freshman also, um, primarily 18 years of age the entire year and uh, was able to to really thrive at, at the University of Michigan. And he, I mean, per elite prospects, he finished the season as one of the NCAA's more aggressive defenders, availing himself of every opportunity to activate off of the blue line, keying breakouts mid-stride and maneuvering around opponents with ease. I mean, a, a ba- basically someone like him paired with Jamie Drysdale is your top pairing for years and years and years to come. So I don't think it's necessarily this bad thing that that the uh, for the ducks in the future well the, the, the thing is you know i mean for the ducks if, if they draft like let's just say we're in this hypothetical world still where they have the first pick they draft owen power it is interesting because you st- you even though i don't know what owen power's timeline is to get to the nhl at some point you do have still all these veteran defensemen you know what are you going to do with all these guys at some point right like for example Kevin Shattenkirk signed for a couple more years, so he fits the timeline. But it does kind of call into question, for example, with Lindholm and Manson. Lindholm what, specifically. Yeah, exactly. Because, Be, because Owen Power is a left-handed shot defenseman. Exactly. So, I, you know, I don't know if it totally changes the equation there, but you do have a lot of bodies on that blue line, and there is a lot of up and, in the air with the contracts. So I don't know how he changes all that. Here's the issue there is that if you're Hampus Lindholm, you want the Fowler contract. Yeah. Like you're you're at least, you're at you're starting at the Fowler contract and going up from there. <laughs> oh boy! And, and so for the Ducks, are do you really want two guys going into their mid to late thirties with who are injured 12, from twelve plus million signed for eight eight year or six plus years at or sorry, what's Fowler at six and a half million? That's so at six and a half plus million, so thirteen ish of your cap. 13 of your 81 tied to those guys. When Owen Power and Jamie Drysdale are going to need new contracts over that point in time. Like, yeah, it, like is is that the best allocation of your cap when you're not contending? No, and no. so and also with Lindholm and with Manson, these are guys who have had trouble staying healthy. I mean, look at man, look at Lindholm's games played. I mean, over the course of his career, he's never played 82 games. He's only played 80 games once, and that was in 1516. You know, since that time, I'll just go down the list. And I know there's a caveat, by the way, for the 1920 season, but. I'll just go down the list from 16, 17 onwards. 66 games played, 69, 76, 55, and then 18 this year. Like he's, he doesn't really get that much of a, of a rap for his, you know, kind of injury prone propensity, but it's, it's part of the equation. And I, that would give me some pause to sign Tim to it, to that, that kind of Fowler mega extension. Yeah. Yep. 100%. And so, 
I mean, it, this is the type of, of long-term planning that a general manager of a rebuilding team has to have, the long-term yeah, I mean, to, to me, franchise. They, to me, they should cut bait on Lindholm in the offseason. I mean, uh, they should they should cut bait on him and Manson because, I mean, there's also the potential for the Ducks to draft Brant Clark in this draft, who is another right-handed shot defenseman. Oh, man. If they drafted Brant Clark, that would be that would do wonders for this team's uh, entertainment value. Because yeah. Brant Clark, for those who don't know, is a very high-level offensive defenseman who went over to play uh in europe this season with the canadian junior leagues being shut down and performed really well there he actually has and this is again a weird year uh and so we don't want to read too much into these numbers but we used hockey prospecting a lot last year for those who listened to our pod with byron bader i suggest you go back and listen to that because we had the man himself on the show explain these numbers and how they work but in terms of star probability uh Brad Clark is number two in this class at 58%. So I know that's not a perfect metric, but it shows that he can have a pretty high offensive, at least an offensive output. And that's, again, as a defenseman, that's the that's the, the kind of crazy thing there is that this model, which gives you a star probability, how, how likely this guy will play X amount of games before at a certain level, that typically tends to favor forwards as opposed to defensemen. So for a defenseman to rank that highly, says a little bit about the class itself, but also shows that he is kind of transcendent when it comes to to the offensive side of the game. Yep. The the most shocking thing, honestly, for me, when, when looking at Bob McKenzie's ranking is the fact that Simone Edmondson is, is ranked uh, tied for second overall, I think, on, on his board, um, yeah. along, along with uh, Dylan, Dylan Gunther. And, yeah, and well, so well, Dylan he, Gunther projects boy, very uh, well. Your boy, William Eklund, all the way down at seven behind I know. my boy, Brant Clark. Yeah, so, so the, the interesting thing about Edmondson is Every place I've kind of looked has him in the bottom, in the five to ten ish range, mm-hmm. and so this is kind of kind of interesting to me. I mean, basically, Bob McKenzie says what he's heard from from scouts is basically he's just a Swedish Owen Power, and so mm-hmm. maybe some people view him as the consolation prize for Owen Power. You're basically in the same player just from Sweden, <laughs> and so maybe that's who the Ducks look at. I mean, honestly. The players that I think the Ducks should be looking at in this draft, because at the end of the day, right now, the Ducks have the second worst record in the NHL. Um, They're going to have a really good chance at getting first overall, but they're probably going to be in the top five or or bottom five or however you want to look at it overall for this draft. And and so I I think the players kind of that, that people should be looking at for the Ducks is Owen Power, Dylan Gunther, Simone Edmondson or Simon Edmondson, Maddie Veneers, Luke or Luke Hughes, Brant Clark, and William Eklund. I think that those are are the the seven players kind of in that range that you want to be looking at um, for that that pick that's going to be in the top five. And and I yeah. think every one of those players is a little bit different. And I think that Owen Power may have separated himself at the top a little bit, but the difference between Owen Power and William Eklund in terms of overall future value is not that huge. And so I, I think if you're a Ducks fan, and I've said this before, I think this is a good year to be bad. Because yeah. it, See, it's that, a, that is that is not the per, the per prevailing kind of wisdom right now. The prevail, But the prevailing wisdom is based upon the fact you want to be bad to get first overall. Yes. And, and that's the thing. That's the issue is that just because you have a guy at the top, like in the upcoming drafts with Connor Bedard, doesn't mean like you're still less likely to you're still not likely to get that first overall pick. So just because there's this guy at the top, it doesn't automatically mean that it's this 
preferable it, year to be bad. And so this could be a good year to be bad because even if you don't end up winning the lottery, because I mean, at the end of the day, the Ducks as of right now have a, let me reset it. The Ducks as of right now have a 26% chance of being in the top two. Mm-hmm. So that is still a, like a quarter of a chance that that's not that high of a chance to be in the top two overall. Well, so more, m- there's a better chance that the Ducks are not in the top two or uh, top two than they are. So this is a, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And so this is basically, if you want a year where it's basically jump ball on first through first through fifth or sixth, like this is a perfect year because you could get the guy that could be first on your draft board at fourth overall. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it is a, it is a strange year because to your point, it's all over the place. And to me, it is a year almost where you can kind of draft by need because there isn't this big, I mean, at least in the research I've done, there's not like this huge range of talent, right? And so for me, I mean, if the Ducks drafted some, you know, one of these defensemen at near the top, it will undoubtedly help their their you know long term hopes. But at the same time, I would really like them if they are able to draft Matthew Beniers, not because I think he necessarily has this super high upside. You know, he he maybe doesn't profile as like an offensive dynamo, but. The Ducks have proven this year that their forward group is still very much a work in progress. They don't score a lot. They they, they have don't, nine. They, they don't drive play well. They don't drive play well. They need guys who can just who can get you possession of the puck. And I think that forwards, you know, having a center like that. I mean, imagine a one-two punch of Trevor Zegras and Matthew Beniers. Like that would be interesting because you have two very different looks there. Yeah, and so I, I would be very curious to see if they if he's available when they're picking, if they what, what direction they go in because and, it kind of says a little bit about the evaluation of this team's strength and strengths and weaknesses. And, and just I'm kind of looking at some data real quick um, on Owen Power. So Mitch Brown had a great in depth statistical breakdown of the Michigan trio in the top uh, yeah, so top good. ten. So good, but Owen Power, just uh, so everyone knows, his statistical breakdown in expected goals, expected assists, uh, and position transition rate, and uh, turnover rate, and rush defense and defensive plays, he was significantly better in the uh, in uh, NCAA hockey this year than his own teammate uh, Cam York. And so Cam York is is a fairly highly touted prospect at this point in time, and Owen Power significantly outproduced him at a younger age, two years younger. Than, than Cam York. And so I think that is somewhat significant to look yeah, at. For well, Owen I mean, it Power. makes sense. Like, and also, I mean, Owen Power is in the conversation for first overall, and Cam York was definitely outside of the top five. You yep. Know, no one. Yep. So it and makes so, sense. And so, kind of going to where I was, where I was going to do on this. So, looking at kind of Z score and looking at above average, below, below average, Matt Beniers is above average in expected goals per 60, expected primary assists per 60, uh, possession transition rate, transition turnover rate retrievals and defensive plays and so basically he was the most he was the most efficient transition player and here i'm just gonna kind of show this real quick on the screen this little chart and you can see matt beniers is up here and this is transition efficiency and so this is about the ability to uh basically push the play the other way is the best way to put it and matt beniers was the best player in the ncaa this year at that And, and for an 18 year old that's significant and that's mm-hmm. something, and this is the the important thing here. That's something the Ducks don't do well. If you no. look at if you look at a lot of the charts, the Ducks are not good at transition offense. And also, the thing with the Ducks is, 
I think part of it is coaching effects. I don't think that they necessarily have this awesome scheme, but there's also not this huge variation of how teams play across the NHL. The Ducks are probably playing what's what probably amounts to like an average or kind of, you know, cookie cutter type of system. And so I think that it's a little bit about the personnel. They don't have a lot of great transition forwards. They don't have a lot of guys who are really going to just bring it up ice. I mean, there's a reason that Troy Terry sticks out so much on this team. And guys like, for example, Andre Kasha have stuck out in the past is because they're so good at doing that. And there's not a lot of guys on the team who are good at that. And so to bring in another guy like Beniers and presumably Trevor Zegras will develop into some kind of transition player. And you, you have Troy Terry in tow. You're waiting on some other forwards to come up. Uh, you know, maybe Max Coltois takes another step. And all of a sudden, I think your forward core is just so much more interesting uh, because right now it it's still very much a work in progress, like and I was saying earlier. One name we haven't necessarily mentioned is Dylan Gunther, who's kind of a guy that's really shot up a lot of draft boards uh, mm-hmm. this year. My only slight concern on Gunther is that it's a bit of a small sample size uh, due to the WHL being a shortened season, but... I mean, he's been just going insane. Um, well, he uh, actually has the highest yep. <laughs> star probability for yep. for Byron Bader. But like you said, you know, the sample size there. Yeah, but he has a ridiculously good shot. So, I mean, here's the thing. If the Ducks are looking for a steady defenseman to push play, be offensive for them, be good in transition, that's going to be Owen Power. If you want an offensive dynamo, that's going to be Brant Clark. If you want a guy to to pair with uh, a Trevor Zegers moving forward, that's going to be a William Eklund or a Dylan Gunther. Uh, both guys that are, are good at scoring from the wings. William Eklund is is very good at driving play also, and has been very good. And his yeah. production his and, production is up there with Lucas Raymond and, and Alexander Holtz's from last year, and has been better than them. Actually, a lot of this will obviously depend on where they end up picking. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, so, so that's kind of the tough but, thing. But kind of kind of my point in saying this is within this group of players that the Ducks could be that the Ducks will be picking from because they are going to get a player in this group, in my opinion. They, it's kind of a pick your poison. You can kind of get any type of player that you want. And and so it's a situation where you may draft for need more so than others. If, yeah. or that, that may end up playing a bit of a part. It, and, it might and be I the tiebreaker. It's, it's a year where I think it's a little more justifiable to, to pick that way. Um, because there's just not a lot of star talent out there. You know, like for example, last year, there were some very clear options of just best player available when you were in that ducks range, but this yep. year, not, not so much. I will say though, again, I know that everyone's written off this draft class for various reasons, but still kind of a shame that the ducks don't have like a, a are not going to have a, a late first round pick because to me, there are going to be some forwards that are going to slide. And, mm-hmm. and some of them could, you know, there, there's guys like, for example, Cole Sillinger McKenzie has him 13th. So I don't know how far he's really going to slide, but He's a guy who has some red flags in his game, but he's also got some very interesting tools like his shot. And so like you saw last year with the Ducks having the 27th overall pick, if a guy like Jacob Perot slips, hey, you benefit from it. And so that is to me, again, uh, not to rehash the, dra- the the trade deadline completely, but another kind of reason why I think it was a bit of a miss is even if you're not super high on this class, you could still end up with, uh, found value late in that first round. Yep, definitely. All right, want to get some questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I got this real quick one that I, that I want to hit from Dalton Keys, Ducks and Bolts, uh, on Twitter, 
And so he brought up a uh, question for the pod. Do you think there's a better chance to win the Calder next, or who do you think has a better chance to win the Calder next season, Zegris or Drysdale? And I wanted to briefly mention this to that question, actually, which is um, I'm actually not quite sure if they are going to use up their rookie eligibility this year because I was looking through uh, the kind of uh, – the NHL's information for this year with what gets prorated, what what doesn't. And I couldn't actually find anything on the games played, but it's typically 25 games. A lot of that type of stuff, like the, the season accrual, all that different type of stuff has been prorated. So I would assume that if a guy plays over 18 or 19 games or play, yeah, plays over 18 games or 18 games or more, this will count as their rookie year. Trevor Zegers has played in 17 games so far and Jamie Drysdale has also played in 17. So if that is the case, which it might not be, but they are probably not going to be eligible or this will be their rookie season. So let me ask you this. This is yeah. now off topic. Not sure. not off topic, but my own question. Sure. How much how much do you think how good do you think Trevor Zegers could have been this year if the Ducks had just played him from start to finish at his natural position and just kind of pumped his ice time, given him power play t- time like how much better do you think – how good would he have been? I think he could have been a 20-30-point 30, 30 player. Do you think he would have been in the Kaprizov kind of Calder conversation? Uh, I don't think so, mainly because I don't think the Ducks would have been good. And I think that's one of the driving factors with Kaprizov there is that he's been so good. And also, was it, Jason Robertson um, – uh, has been kind of driving the bus in Dallas a bit there. And so he's getting a push for it now as they're pushing for a playoff spot. So a lot of it's narrative. And I think the fact that the ducks are bad, that would kind of hold it up or hold him back a bit. Yeah. I just think for me, when I watched him play this year, you could tell that he, there's going to be a a bit of a development curve there. He's, he wasn't this kind of ready-made NHL player. And so on one hand, I still don't love the way the Ducks handled him this year, but I also think that what? he's he wasn't 100% just going to come in and light the world on fire. All right. One uh, one thing I did want to mention on Zegers, and this was brought up in our YouTube comments, and so I think it's a good point, was that a lot of it I've been mentioning with the season accrual as games played, it's actually not games played. It's games on the roster. So if Zegers was a healthy scratch at all and wasn't uh, on the taxi squad, then he would actually be at 18 games. So... I, I really don't know. I haven't been able to really dive into it or not with how many games he can actually play this year. But uh, that is one thing to note is scratches do count. So let's get into some questions from the Twitch chat. So if you have questions in the Twitch chat, uh, throw it out um, and um, and we will start getting to it. Um, but if you're watching this on YouTube, obviously we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Um, or uh, or listening on your favorite podcast services. We do this every single week, Sunday at 8 p.m. at twitch.tv slash crash the pond, uh, where you can tune in, watch live. You can watch Salem hide underneath a blanket behind me and now pop her head out and is sitting on camera and <laughs> for everyone. And if you want to help support the show, you can. And in a way, it's completely free to you. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every time. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. 
just like Odog81 uh, did, and re- he resubbed for two months in a row. Um, our good friend Jess, ScienceCat108, gifted a sub to Ducks Go, so thank you so much for that. Uh, Dalton Keys, real quick, is actually in our Twitch. I said the 25 games can normally be spread out over multiple seasons, which is why I don't think they prorated it. So the, the 25 game mark is if you don't hit that, then the next season is essentially your rookie season because it's 25 games in a season or six games over the prior two. So if you played, uh, if you didn't hit that 25 game mark and then you play your next season, as long as you played six games cumulative between the two seasons, that second season counts as your rookie year. So to me, I think the 25 games is going to be prorated, but I mean, we'll see. Um, so let's see. So DB Lowry had this, this wasn't a question, but I think it's interesting said with all the uncertainty in the rankings, do you think there, this might lead to a scenario like the 2012 draft where the first four picks end up being busts and the best players start getting selected at fifth? It's possible, but I, I haven't done enough prep yet on this class to where I can make those kind of sweeping. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, I think I'm pretty comfortable confident in saying that the top 10 are all going to become nhlers i mean obviously there it there's a risk there who knows what's going to happen injury wise these guys could fall off various different things like that but i i'm fairly confident in saying that and i think once you get outside of the top 10 though it's going to be a bit of a crapshoot you're going to see guys taken in the teens that don't play a single nhl game whereas you're going to see guys become legit nhlers that are taken in the second round second and third round because of the lack of scouting this season yeah. And, and so, um, hey, yo, Flo had this question. He said, what is your evaluation of Shattenkirk's season so far? I don't think he's been that good. I know really? that you, I okay. know that you, you've been kind of like an ardent Shattenkirk defender this year, but there's just not really a whole lot to point to with him where he's been, you know, like so awesome. I mean, I think he's been he's been fine in terms of his impact you, on play. So here's my my opinion on this. I think that he hasn't been this like uh, all-star level defenseman for the Ducks, this elite first pairing defenseman. But I think he's been a serviceable second pairing defenseman that is making what three point nine mil, which is about I think what he's deserved for, so for do, the way do he's you think, played. Do you think twenty ninth percentile in WAR qualifies as a quality second pairing? He's in the sixty second percentile for WAR. Where? I'm looking at Jay Fresh's uh, yeah, so that's, player cards. That's a three-year three sample. Yes, Look I at know. this year. Look at this year. 29. Oh, yeah. yeah. But so here is one thing that I will say. The, the big issue there, and this is correct, and this is where he takes a big hit, is fi- the penalties. Well, he takes, a crap, he takes a crap ton of penalties. But the correct. funny thing is that he's – this actually wasn't always – like this has been an issue in his game before. It's not like brand new. That, that he's struggled with penalties, but just look at this year. Like he hasn't, he's, he hasn't really impacted offense. He's been okay defensively. I will give him credit for that. Um, he hasn't really produced on his own and he hasn't had an impact in the power play. And I, I'm not saying all this to like bash the, the signing or bash the player, but if you're just asking me like coldly, how has he played? I just don't think he's been that great. It doesn't help that he um, has been saddled with different, different partners and that's probably hasn't helped his game but i just i just don't think he's been that great and um and that's fine you know he's not he doesn't have this like uh bank breaking contract where it, it it's this uh you know 
it's this albatross on your roster, but he just hasn't been that good. So I now have up on on the screen his RAPM charts. I mean, the thing is, you're right 100% on penalties, and you're right 100% on power play. And that's partially why he was brought in, was to make an impact on the power play, and he hasn't. And that's not mincing words. That That's the, the truth. But I think he gets way too much flack for the way that he's played at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, he does make some glaring mistakes, and maybe that's one of the reasons why his goals for percentage or goals for per 60 is lower than it should be. But he's a guy that does help drive offense, and he's been above average defensively also for the Ducks uh, per yeah, RAPM. He, he, he's, like, been good. he's been okay defensively. Like the, he's been good, okay defensively. He's been good at driving shot, shot quantity, which is something the Ducks desperately need. The, the big issue is... Power play and penalties, which which is what a lot of people do, do bring up. But I think that they bring that up and, and then it kind of overlooks what he's actually well, been able to the do The issue well. with the power play is that that was part of the billing when he yep, was signed. I agree. That's fair. And so, That's fair. That's fair. And maybe, maybe but, that was a bit of a miscast. Who yes. knows? And but, I think yeah. I think overall, he's given you proper value for the 3. Point, what, 3.9 mil? Sure. You do you agree or disagree with that? I mean, I I think maybe slightly below, but it's it hasn't been that often value. No, like he hasn't been awful. I just think he's been okay. Like if you want that, me to, no, that's it, fair. That's if fair. You want me to like change my tune a little bit? He's been okay, but I just has he been better than Eric Branson? <laughs> uh, well, I haven't seen how Eric Branson has played this year, but he. Yeah, he brings more to the table than Eric Goodbranson did. I'm now just curious, just for fun. Let's see Shattenkirk versus Goodbranson. Single season RAPM. Let's take a quick look here on Evolving Hockey. Also, I'll tell you um, this. Eric Goodbranson has been just a sieve in his own zone. Well, I'll tell you this. Kevin Shattenkirk's been a lot better than Josh Manson this year. Yeah, he has. Manson has been awful defensively. And, uh, and that just doesn't seem to get any play. But and Manson has been worse when it comes to taking penalties. Like, yep. and the funny thing is, Manson still gets used as this kind of top pairing shutdown guy when it's like very clear that he's just not thriving in those minutes. So, and Cam Fowler also has been very good for the Ducks. I mean, overall, looking at yeah. RAPM, which granted ignore doesn't address the penalty issue, which is a, an issue. But if we're just purely looking at five on five play. I mean, Shattenkirk's been up there as one of the better Ducks defensemen. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm looking more at top-down hockey and less at um, well, it, it, and less you're looking, evolving hockey. You're looking at a war model versus an RAPM, and the difference there is war takes into consideration shooting, it takes into consideration power play, penalty kill, uh, penalties taken, everything like that, as compared to just simply looking at five-on-five data. Yeah, and so there's there's pros and cons there. Yep. Um, and I think the middle ground for Shattenkirk is still that he hasn't been that great. Um, with uh, with Fowler, though, like I just want to say, because I've been such a critic of him in the past, like he's been very good the last two seasons. And he's been he has uh, he's been seemingly the only guy on this team who has really benefited from the Dallas Akins era. Like he has actually played at a level where he he wasn't really in in the past and that is kind of interesting to me yeah and i am just slightly curious because of the uh yeah so top down hockey you're right a little bit different in terms of their uh data yeah it's almost as if that's what i was looking at jake we're both in in terms of in terms of rapm are we we? yeah i see your cursor moving around (laughs) jake always thinks that i'm not citing stats i just don't overtly say it 
but yeah. I am looking at the same thing. Oh, I know. I know. All right. I don't know if uh, you know. M Young has this question says, do you think Getzoff will retire after this season? If so, do you think Zegers can step right in next year and fill the number one center role? I don't think Zegers will be. An, I don't think he can do that. I, I think he's just from what I saw this year with Zegers. I don't know if he's a hundred percent ready to be that kind of player, but I think he can step in and be a contributor. Um, if he is going to be the ducks first line center next year, I'm a little concerned how that's going to go because seeing how Dallas Aikens has handled him this year, I, I don't know how much of a kind of how much of a leash there will be there. I, I think that he he will have his ups and downs probably in his first full season there. As far as the gets off portion of that question, I don't know. It seems up in the air. He I mean he's he's been very solid this season. Like he he's has been, he's been one of the Ducks' best forwards. He and, his defensive game has actually gone up this year. Exactly, and so I. Part of me thinks that he has another run in him, but also like how how excited is he really to come back to to what is probably going to be another rebuilding year? I mean, he said all the right things publicly. Um, he's it, it seems like he's fully bought in, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I, I I don't know 100 uh, percent what's going to happen there. And of course, I should also mention because we did get some news today. David Backus was asked about his future and. Sounds like he's leaning towards retirement. We'll have a question season. about that in a quick sec. So we'll oh, okay. get to this question first. Said <laughs> Odog81 says, Who do you think is going to be traded slash fired in the offseason, whether it be management or players? I've said my view a bunch. I'll let you kind of take the wheel on I this. I think one. no one's no one's going. That that my view is that they'll probably fire the assistants. Like I think Marty Wilford and and uh Mark Morrison are probably good as good as gone. Maybe Marty Wilford stays because Maybe they can point to Jamie Drysdale being good. Who knows? I don't know. But um, I think the assistants are gone. But I think the big players, Dallas Aikens and Bob Murray, are are still going to remain. I think they're going to play out the string on their current contracts. And then things will be reevaluated uh, on the other end of things. As far as who gets traded, that's a good question. Because at every logical turn where we think the Ducks should trade X, Y, and Z, they just don't do it. The, the Ducks, I realize this. And I... I've tried wording this now differently to to accurately get my my point across. The Ducks have never made a move where they're trading a guy because he's good to get value right. to get value back. Every single move they make, even if it is a somewhat rebuilding move, there's some detriment on that player where it's like they want to move him as yeah. a result of it. Whether it's they want to move Andre Andre Kasha with his injury, whether it is um, Brandon Montour with, with them being unhappy with his play and wanting a change of scenery. Same thing with Nick Ritchie. It's never a situation where they're trading a player to get future value back. And I think nope. that's the best way to put it is that People can point to those trades as saying the Ducks got first round picks out of it and those are rebuilding type of moves. And sure, while that is correct, but the Ducks have never moved a guy with value now for future value with the with that being the distinct intent of it. I still think one of Manson or Raquel could be on the move this offseason I, I, because they're going to have to make a decision on their contracts at some point. And if they do have a discussion on that and things aren't progressing and you know with a potentially active trade market going into the expansion draft and then the entry draft, I think that there could be a, a potential for them to trade them there. So if I had to predict, I will say maybe one of, of uh, Manson or Raquel still, which maybe, maybe I'm all alone there on that Island because it seems like they just won't do it, but it, it still feels like there's a, a move to be made there and things, the conditions for them to execute that trade could improve. Yeah. 
Um, so this is the question about Bacchus DB Lowry three thirty five oh seven said, Do you guys think Bacchus has played his last game? The broadcast seemed to suggest so after last night. Seems odd to shut a guy down with games remaining. So I noticed this today that Bacchus was removed from the roster today and he was called up as an emergency loan. Do you think that that was potentially his last game ever? I think it may have been because so for everybody who doesn't know, the Ducks have availabilities for their players to the and coaches to the media after practices, games, and for the for the off day availabilities, they're usually about you know seven to twelve minutes in length. But David Backus today had an availability that was twenty minutes, and he was asked about his future. There was a big article about it on NHL.com, so a national. Uh, a, a national coverage there. They talked about that yesterday. It just, it feels like, yeah, that's where things are going. And it's just, there's a lot of signals there that that's what's happening. I don't know. Who, how can anyone really know except for the people that are making those decisions? But it, it seems like, like that's where it's headed. And it is interesting. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's potentially his last game ever as a duck. I mean, here's the thing. That was the last game ever. At least he did it going out in style with those beautiful jerseys. Yeah, exactly. And I, and just to clarify, like the significance of the availability being long, I just think that there was like a plan to have him have this kind of longer spotlight because maybe it's the last time he'll do it as an active member of a roster or something like that. Anyway, yep. uh, Dalton Gies asked, do you think that we see Zegers with the Ducks by Wednesday? Um. Well, what's the math there? That's he, the, the question. The Ducks will have, have eight games remaining, and so he will be at, I think, 25 games then, if that. So, I mean, granted, the, the big thing is if he was ever scratched uh, and not on the taxi squad, so actually just a healthy scratch on the roster for any of the games. I think it, it's, a, it's a relatively decent likelihood. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, I agree. Tonight, so here's his last couple games. Zegris tonight, one goal for, for a point. Uh, yesterday, two uh, two assists for two points, so three points in his last game in, in his last two games. Then they played on the twenty first, goal and an assist for another two points. So yeah. in his last three games, he has five points. I mean, he overall right now is twenty one points in seventeen games, and um, it's just it's insane what he's doing overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just, I mean. What he's doing in the AHL is is insane for a guy that's 19 or 20 or going to be 20 or is 20 years old. This is not normal, folks. And so he should be getting a look. He should be playing. And here's the thing. Play him in big minutes. Put him up in, in interesting situations. See what you yeah, can do. If, if, if they're going to call him up for the, you know, to play out the string, he needs to actually be playing real minutes. Like no more of this. Like because then there's just no justification for doing the whole, well, you know, like we saw Dallas Sakens do play him, you know, really be so yeah, careful and, with his deployment because there's just nothing left to play for. And Ducks go asks us if with Zegers now performing well in the AHL as a center, will he go back to wing when he plays with the Ducks? No, like the, no. The, the intent of him being sent down as, and to play center was for him to come up later and for him to be a center from then on. And, yeah. and essentially that, that be the case from here on out. And I mean, he's, he's putting up points. I mean, I, I was curious about this because of uh, there was a discussion in our uh, Patreon Discord chat about Getzloff and the comparison with him and Zegris and that Getzloff, his ver- his rookie year, um, made it. he was so good in the AHL where um, basically the Ducks had to call him up and he was just so insane. 
and that's not how Zgris has been. And the clear difference there, though, and so I took a quick look, and yes, Getzloff was insane that first year. He had 33 points in 17 games in the AHL, but that was his draft plus three year. This is Zgris' draft plus two year. So he was one year older than Zgris is at this point in time, and Zgris isn't necessarily matching that point total with only with 21 points in 17 games compared to 33, but he's a year younger. And, yep. and so that can provide you some hope. And I mean, and Getzloff, when his AHL or when his WHL season was over, went to the AHL only at five points in 10 games it, during that draft plus three year in the AHL playoffs. And so Zegers is obviously able is doing more than that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, and so I don't know if we have any more there questions. Was some, someone threw this in way earlier and I did, I didn't forget it, but, so Jay Fresh has been doing Jay Fresh hockey, friend of the show. We'll, we'll say friend of the show. He's been in our stream in our chat. Has been posting these uh, surveys he's been doing with his uh, Twitter followers, and there was a, a poll. It was the top ten most underrated goalies, and then the top ten most overrated goalies. And so we'll start with the most overrated. Gibson finished ninth most overrated in in this survey. So he had the ninth most votes. And then in the in the top ten most underrated, he was third, at garnering the third most vo- votes. So it's just funny to see him on both lists. But what do you make of that? Like, what do you think he belongs on either of these lists? Um, I'll get I'll, I'll give you my take if you're if you're gathering yours. I think he's, yeah, I don't think he should be considered underrated because he hasn't played very well for a, going on like. A, a significant amount of time now a couple years two three years and so i think at this point oh god this is gonna offend but he's probably a little overrated like if, if you think he's underrated you just haven't watched him play you haven't looked at his stats like if 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 you asked me three years ago is john gibson underrated like in 18 19 if you asked me that i would say yes 100 percent, he's underrated he's he's played so well on a crappy team but in the last two seasons specifically um you know, it's just it just hasn't been anywhere near that. And so I would say if you still think he's this like elite level goalie, at least in the last two years, he just has not shown it objectively. And I'm not saying that he can't get back to that. There are some weird factors there with how bad this team has been and everything like that. But I just don't think he should be considered underrated. Yeah. The, I, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think it's hard for me to want to say that. Yeah. That be, 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 People have a hard time like moving on from a certain opinion when it comes to goalies. I think. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, and and, it, and it's not unfair, by the way, because we have such a hard time quantifying it anyway. So, yeah, it's not real, like it's a perfect science. Yeah. Real, real quick, by the way, there was uh, something brought up earlier in the chat about what the Ducks will do, it, or who would protect the duck. It was when we were doing our fighting conversation. I wanted to briefly mention this when it's like, who would protect the, the Zgrises and, and, and all these guys on the ducks. If uh, Manson doesn't, if these guys don't, uh, what would happen in that situation? It's like fighting's gone out of the game. I mean, you look at some of the top teams in the league, Vegas only has 10 fights this year. Colorado only has nine fights this year. The Maple Leafs only have seven. The Carolina hurricanes only have five. The Blackhawks Bye. only have four. Like, how are those teams protecting their players? I mean, they're doing it by if another team does something that causes a penalty, they're hurting them on the scoreboard as a result. Like, mm-hmm. that, that is the answer there is that you beat them on the scoreboard. Because yep. at the end of the day, that's going to hurt way more than any sort of fight. Yep. Like, 
to be honest. And so uh, let's get to this question from uh, Ginger Wolf. Or actually, no, this one from Duxco. Do you see Gibson being traded in the offseason? I've seen, and this is from him, I've seen many uh, on the message board team fans willing to pay a pretty penny for him. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that... what What's the price? The, the perception of Gibson has not caught up to how he's played or caught on to how he's played. And so if you're the Ducks, you have to at least think about it. You have to at least think about it because there's no telling if his game is going to get back to where it was like at, at this point, if it could even get back to being like an average goalie would, would be pretty, pretty good. I mean, he he's gotten a little better as of late. He had a really bad stretch kind of in the middle of the season when, when shit really hit the fan. But I, I mean, if you're the ducks, you could probably get a very high return. I would imagine. I mean, I know it's a weird market and yes, he does have, I mean, he has six years remaining after this season. So that doesn't help, but it might be some, I mean, I, it's something I would consider for sure. No questions asked there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the return has to be right. You have to, you have to get a good return if you're going to make that move though. Um, but like, Jim- what, what, what is the, like, here's the thing though. What's the, knowing how he's actually been playing, knowing his contract, knowing this flat cap world, like how his contract's what, not bad though. That's the issue. Well, that's it's just, a, it, it's not bad. It's just a lot of term. It's True. just a lot of term. What it was, it's like six years, right? So this is year it's one. Six, of six years. It's six years after this year. After this, okay. Yes, like it's a long time. He yeah, he's gonna. That's be, fair. He signed through twenty twenty seven, and and so like to me, what is the what is the lowest possible price you would accept for John Gibson? High end prospect and a first. Yeah, I mean, to me, if they, if they got that, like a I, very very like a very very high end, like we're talking like a Bowen Byram and a first. Yeah, I mean, if they got that, that would be a great return to me. And and that's and you're saying that that would be on the low end. So that's on the low end, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, look, if Colorado wants to call up, if Joe Sakic wants to give the the Ducks and a first some, and some Bowen pe- Byram, some people may think that's even too low. I mean, honestly, and I, 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 on, I and honestly, I don't know. I need to think about that more. That's on the spot. What I would say, but I, I've just kind of come to the realization—not realization, but I'm just kind of accepting the fact that prices seem to be suppressed, and it's not just this trade deadline. I just think that there's a lot of factors right now, so I don't know how high you could really go with with Gibson, but a first and a prospect, a really good pro like Bowen Byram, that would be huge. You can reunite yeah. the Byram Drysdale yeah. pairing from Team Canada. Uh, it would be pretty significant to me. Yes, it definitely would. Uh, so Duxco said someone from Colorado offered Byram and Newhook. I do that. I yes, you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do that. Um, let's see. Let's end with this question. What happens? This is from Ginger Wolf. What happens to Cody Coran after this season? Well, he's got another year. Yep. He's got another year. Does he ask for a trade? Maybe. I don't do know. Do the Ducks but buy him out? Why, why would they do that? I don't know. He's, make, he's making a million dollars next season. I don't know. Just throwing <laughs> things out there. Just throwing things out there. <laughs> what, what would that buy even look like? I mean, I guess I could find out. But anyway, yeah. yeah. He, he He's coming back. He's probably going to be in much the same role. I mean, it will be interesting, though, to see what happens You know, with, with Manson with Lindholm, because if either of those guys get dealt, I wouldn't be surprised if the Ducks trade Jacob Larson this offseason as well. Um, just the way that their kind of lineup is shaking out, it just feels like he's maybe outside looking in a little bit. So maybe there's a deal there. Uh, the thing, though, 
even if he gets dealt with with Flurry being acquired, it's just not really great news for Cody Curran. Yep, agreed. So okay. I think that's probably going to do it for us tonight. Okay, well, thanks, folks, for listening. This was a fun pod. This was actually a very enjoyable podcast. And as per usual, going in, we weren't totally sure what we were going to talk about because this week has been a little thinner on news. But we made it work. And Jake is now bringing his black cat, Salem, onto the screen. Here she and is. She, and she she's is squirming away. She's squirming out of your arms. Oh, I don't know. Was that was that nope. her meowing? That was not. Okay, that's that's what I figured. That that is uh, my wife Monica. S- sounded meowing. more human. That sounded more human than than feline. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. I'm just going to give you the quick plugs here. So if you've been enjoying our show, a couple of ways that you can support the show. Um, first off, we do have a Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash Crash the Pond. So we give you three different tiers there. For a dollar pledge a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord chat, which is a lot of fun. It's become its own community of diehard Ducks fans. It's a very positive environment. I highly recommend it. That's for $1 a month. For $5 a month, you get access to two bonus podcast episodes. So if you've been enjoying our regular show, maybe you enjoy kind of the banter a little bit, the the lighter side of it, you definitely get that on the bonus episodes. But we also are able to go more in-depth on different Ducks topics. Um, even you know league-wide topics, we'll do rankings. I'm sure that with the season winding down, uh, we'll do playoff predictions. That's always one of my favorites every year is the first-round predictions. And it'll be especially interesting this year with the divisional format. And um, we'll probably do like our awards picks. So definitely, ch- it's a good time of year for the $5 tier, I would yep. say. Yep, and we actually need to do another bonus episode this week. Yes, exactly. So we'll be doing one this week. Make sure so that there you go. If you're, for $5 if you're a Patreon, month. throw in the, the Patreon channel. Uh, yeah, we do have a channel in our Discord chat where you can suggest topics. Yep. And we will we will we will discuss them. Yep. And then for fifteen dollars a month, so big step up there, you get access to everything we just talked about, but you also get access to two live watch alongs every month. So we'll we'll do a, a live broadcast of the Ducks game, giving you an alternate commentary feed. So a little more Archgate. a little more detailed. You get and, to hear about Archgate. Yesterday's one was just completely off the rails. I'm not going to lie. That was for, for, for those who have been wanting us to do a drinking pod. Like that's basically what that was. That's what, what that's what it turned into. Yeah. Um, and also, if you're a patron, give us suggestions for what you want out of that tier, because obviously the season is coming to an end. We, I think we're still going to be able to get two games in next month. But over the summertime, we're going to have to find a way. Maybe we'll we'll do watch alongs of old Ducks games, you know, from the past or. Playoff I don't know games. Who knows? There's let, a lot let, of things. Yeah, we could do watch alongs of the Stanley Cup final. Like there, there's stuff that we could do. But let us know. Let us know what you're most interested in. We could do UFC watch alongs, which uh, that got a little <laughs> bit of last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our our live reaction to the knockout in the in the Rose fight was. Uh, I, I may have to go back and watch that because <laughs> there was there was some booze involved there too. Um, so that's at Patreon.com/slash Crash the Pond. Of course, if you don't want to pledge any money. Uh, that's fine. You can still support us with no cost. Uh, just search for Crash the Pond on Apple Podcasts, and you can leave us a rating there and a review. And if you do leave us a review, we'll we'll read it on the show, and so you get a little you get a little sh- a little spotlight there, a little fame, a little clout, maybe. I don't know. Is that what is that the right word? Sure. Who knows? Sure. 
who knows? Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, so just search us there on Apple Podcasts. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, that's fine. Uh, subscribe to us on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe there. Turn on your notifications so you, you know when our shows are going up. And it's just the video version. It's just the Twitch stream. So you'll get to see our faces. You'll get to see uh, Salem the cat, which I think is a nice addition. She's she's essentially become the third host of this show. She is. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, and week in and week out. And then also you get to see the, the, the pretty graphs that uh, Jake puts on the screen. So it's a win. It's a win for everybody. Um, of course... Outside of that, make sure to check out the actual website, crashthepond.com. So after every Ducks miniseries, we have five takeaways that go up, different observations, stats, video clips, whatever you want. We've got it. I also have an article up there right now. Did an interview with Anthony Stolarz. It was go check, a blast. Go, go check it out, everyone. It's a great read. It's an awesome, awesome insight to kind of how guys train in the offseason, an in-depth look at what he does and everything like that. A lot of... Felix did a great job of getting some interesting uh, answers out of him. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Well, yeah, it was it was a blast. I guess maybe because I used to be a goalie, we were able to connect there. Who knows? But go check that out, crashthepond.com, and uh, we'll have takeaways up this week as well. Um, check us out on social media. So that's at Crash the Pond on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at Reindeer Games ninety one. Give him a follow for all the soccer tweets, wrestling tweets. I don't know, you, you, you know, all the random De- sports. Depre- depressed Tottenham fan tweets from this morning. How have you gone from so ecstatic to depressed? It feels, doesn't feel I mean, right. T- tis the life of a Tottenham fan to, to get hope and be built up to then just have soul crushing defeat. Hey, at least you got rid of the coach you hated. So I know, I know. Like at least here's the thing. At least I was able to have that hope to then have it be crushed. <laughs> like like at least i had that little brief moment of the the joy like i mean it makes the crushing worse but at least like it made me feel alive again that's good we want you to, <laughs> we, we, we want you to feel alive that's what we want um no no clue where to go from there oh yeah i am on twitter at felix underscore card and i've got baseball tweets there there's a there's a cap of three words per tweet so I, I don't want to bog people's except when you now. Except when you feel like you need three more, more than three words. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm allowed to break that when I feel like it. Um, but generally try to keep them to three words. Angels, by the way, angels are fun to watch. They're a 500 team. They're a 500 ball club, but they are fun to watch. A lot of home runs, a lot of sprinting around bases. Dingers, dingers, dingers. And they're ahead of the Astros in the standings, which is kind of all that matters, I think, at this point in time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Hope you have a great week, a great Monday if you're listening on Monday. And we will talk to you next time. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.